Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. We have a, an amazing kids ministry. We really do. And uh, we've had some, some really good people step up. And, you know, as we was going through COVID and that, we, we didn't have much of a children's ministry. Some, some great people step up recently and start working with our children, leading our children and uh, you guys do an amazing job, and we appreciate it. Um, so this week, actually about the last week and a half, uh, been working on this message and trying to put it together, and it, it got kind of frustrating. My wife will even tell you, like, I, I was half insane most of the week. Um, but I was in here praying one day, and I was asking God, like, what do you, what do you want me to, to, to speak of, God? And it was my prayer for probably two or three days like that. And who knows that when, that when God talks to you sometimes, he has a sense of humor. So I'm in here praying, and uh, he says, I ask him again, you know, what do you, what do you want me to teach on, or what do you want me to speak of? And all I heard, and I didn't hear like the audible voice, it's something that was pressed into my spirit. He said, Jesus. And, and, I, and I couldn't do nothing but yell back at him. I, of course we're going to learn about Jesus on Sunday morning. Like, come on, you got to give me more than that. But he did lead me to, to the words of Jesus. So I've entitled this message here this morning just Jesus, because that's, that's really it's Jesus' words that we're going to look at and uh, see what it speaks to us. So the scriptures, before we start, let's go ahead and pray over top of this message. Father God, just ask for your word to be spoken here, God. None of me and 100% of you. God, allow the ears, the hearts, and the minds here to hear what it is that you want to spoken to them, Father God. Most importantly, though, allow us to experience your love this morning and allow us to carry it with us on all of our days, God. Do not allow this word to be something that is heard and easily forgotten. Allow it to be something that resonates in our soul and, and carries with us. We just thank you for this house. In your name I pray. Amen. So like I said, I'm entitled this Jesus. Um, we're going to start in... Matthew 6, we're going to start right at, at verse 1. It says, this is verse 1 through 4 of Matthew 6. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their action, acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Everything will reward you. We live in a culture today where we thrive for likes and hearts to float up through our screen. Now, I don't believe that this scripture is, is talking about don't take pictures for memories, don't share your heart with others, but I believe what it is saying, if that is your only motive of what you do, then the only reward that you will get is the pat on the back or that little heart that floats up through your screen. There's... There's no need to call attention to your charitable deeds as you do them. 
You don't walk out on the street to feed a hungry person and before you hand them a cheeseburger say, hey, look at me. You give with a heart. It says, I just want you to eat. I just want you to not be hungry. If there's attention brought to it, awesome. But does that attention glorify God? Am I doing what I'm doing for the heart of worship and the heart of love that God has called me to do? It's best explained for us in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13 through 15. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I'm not telling you right now that if you post your picture on Facebook that you're going straight to hell. That's not the purpose of it. You can be saved on it, but it's a very thin line of why you're doing what you're doing. Jumping through a wall of flames, you're taking a chance of whether you're going to get burned and die. You may have a very slight chance of making it through to the other side. So you have to question, where is your loyalty? Where is your heart? Where is your motives? Of when, you, when, you're, when your gold is, is purified and tested, is it pure gold or is it got a lot of filth? that comes along with it. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time, before the Lord returns, for he will bring the darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one of us whatever praise is due. I don't want to concentrate on the judgment of that verse. I want to concentrate on the second half of it. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. When you post that picture, when you tell somebody about a charitable deed that you did, if that was your only heart was to tell them, that is the only reward that you will get. He will reveal to you. Nobody else around you can tell whether your, your motives behind what you do are pure or not. It's time to get honest with yourself and with God. And Matthew continues on and he says, when you pray, you shall not, excuse me, this is uh, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by man. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I wholeheartedly believe that you need to spend time with God alone. Absolutely. But we'll get to that in a second. When it says to go into that private place and shut the door behind you, you're called to, to, to pray. And it's okay to pray here in the church. It's okay to pray at your work. It's okay to pray where you're seen. But what is your heart in it? I believe what it's saying of shut that door behind you is open up the door to your heart you and Jesus walk in and you shut the door. And it doesn't matter if you're standing in the center of a thousand people. Your prayer can still be you and God. 
I said that I believe you're supposed to spend time away from all people, away from all distractions, with, G- with God. Jesus displays this himself, and we are called to follow what Jesus does. In Matthew 14, 23, it says, And when he, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. If you want to do extraordinary things, you have to spend time with with the person who can give you extraordinary things. In this verse here, what happens is directly after this, what does Jesus do? Walks on water. If you want extraordinary things in your life to happen like that, you have to spend time intimately and personally with God. I'm not saying leave here and go out to Rocky Gap and bow down on your knees for five minutes and say, oh God, I spend time with you, and take off running. You will get wet. You You will sink right in there, and you will get wet. Do I believe Jesus, or do I believe God can have you guys walk on water? Absolutely, 100%. But that's between you and him. Of whether, of whether your heart is pure enough, of whether your faith is great enough to move a mountain, to walk on water, to do what, what has to be done. But that's between you and God. Mark 135 tells us, Now in the morning, having risen long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. He had just got done preaching to a lot of people. He was about to go on a journey to, to continue uh, teaching and preaching to other towns. And what did he have to do? He had to spend some personal, intimate, alone time with God. Sometimes you're going to have to lose your satisfaction to spend that private time with God. If, you, if I, I hear excuses all the time, and I've made them myself of, oh, i got to be at work at 7 o'clock. I just, I don't have time. Do what Jesus did. Instead of getting up at 6 o'clock to be at work by 7 o'clock and just giving yourself enough time to be ready, get yourself up at 5 o'clock, spend that 30 minutes with God, and then move forward with your day. You have to be willing to get your personal, intimate time with, with God, to spend time with Jesus. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. Luke 5, 16 says, So he himself often withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. We make excuses that, well, I got four kids in my house, and I got a wife who, who's constantly nagging, and I, my job, I'm so busy. and I, Take yourself away from it. Take yourself out of the luxuries of your warm couch and home and take yourself out to the wilderness and pray. Luke 6, 12 tells us, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued to pray all, excuse me, and continued all night in prayer to God. I put that one in there to stress again the importance of sacrifice for God. There is, there is times that you are not going to be able to have your luxury. There is times that you're going to have to lose sleep because you want the extraordinary to happen. The only way that the extraordinary will happen is if you spend time intimately and personally with the one who does extraordinary things. Continuing on in Matthew. Verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, 
Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Often, when I give this verse to someone, the first reply and the most reply that I get, well, God says that if you just keep on knocking, you'll get what you need. Well, here's the thing. I can walk down to an abandoned house on Columbia Avenue and I can knock on that door all day long and nobody will answer it. If you want the, the, the knocking to be answered, you have to know that you're at the right house and to know that you're at the right house, you have to spend the personal intimate time with God so that you know what the needs are in your life that he wants to give you. So God, Jesus gives us a model of prayer directly after this. And I want to take a look at that. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus tells them, his disciples ask him, you know, about praying. He's explaining it to them. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There's something in this prayer that I never in my life paid attention to. I've heard this prayer a million times, multiple different places. I've heard it referred to, and it's the very first two words, our Father, not my Father, not her Father, not your Father, our Father. I have four children, and I can look at every one of those children and say, I love you just the way I love you, just the way I love you, just the way I love you. And I believe that that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples right now. I love every one of you exactly the same. There's, there's, not, there's not one of you that is greater than the other. But also that our Father, you know what it does? It, it, it unites us. It puts us together. It puts us in the same household. And that is very important to understand that we are a family. I can watch my, my children argue with each other all night long. And come 6 o'clock in the morning when they're getting up for school, there's not one word about that argument. There's not one word about how this one said this one. Or, you know why? Because of what he says in there. Forgiveness. For, forgive me as, as I forgive them. We often forget about that. We want to look at each other as we're, we're separate. We want, to, we want to separate for different cultures, different races, for, for genders, for, for different beliefs, for, for all kinds of different things. We want to separate each other. But here's the thing. It's our Father. We are one family together. So there's so much that can really be broken down in this prayer. 
But as I was as I was really learning about this, there was something I learned about it. It's really it's four different parts. There's worship, intercession, petition, and worship. Jesus was teaching us when you spend that alone time with God, when you're entering into that prayer, the first thing you do is worship who you're talking to. Make your request, talk to him, and then what do you do? You worship the person you're talking to. Looking back at old kings and that, that the, the Old Testament really refers us a lot back to, to old kingdom days. Do you know what somebody did when they came into the king? They would, they would bow immediately or they'd kiss the ring or whatever. They would, they would pay their respect. They would say what they needed to say and then guess what they would do? They would bow again. They would kiss the ring again. They would do whatever that culture would do to show their respect for their king. Who believes that, who believes that God is our king? Who believes God is our king? If he's your king, then you will show him worship when you enter into his presence. You will show him worship when you walk away from him because you have a respect, a reverence for him. So in the Lord's Prayer, it talked about forgiveness. And directly after the prayer, that's the main thing that Jesus begins to focus on. Forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I spoke about it just a second ago, of how children can forgive each other. We're supposed to, we're supposed to have the heart of that. We're supposed to have the heart of forgiveness. How do you expect somebody to forgive you if you can't forgive others? Well, here's the, people say a lot, well, it's not that person I haven't forgiven, but they did something to me. I forgave this person over here, but I, I don't have their need to forgive that person. We're a family, our father. It's all together. If you hold any bitterness, rage, anger, resentment, anything in your heart towards one, you hold it towards all. So the best way that this, this verse can be explained of what God is trying to express, what Jesus is talking about here, is, is in Matthew 18, and I used verse 34 and 35. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So for these, those of you that don't know this story, what it is, a king calls one of the men from, the, from, his, from his area, his kingdom, whatever you want to call it, calls him in. He owes him thousands upon thousands of dollars. But the king looks at him. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Go be with your family. Go take care of your business. Go do, go do what you've got to do. Don't worry about that debt. Go enjoy your life. What does that man do? He walks out of that kingdom, out of that palace. He gets outside, and he sees little Billy that owes him 25 cents. Give me my money. Give me my money right now. King calls him back in after he hears about this. He says, what are you doing? I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I mean, don't, 
This is a, a PBV. Sounded horrible. Um, I lost the thought. You were good. So he he brings him back in, and he says, "What are you doing? Why? Like I just forgave you of thousands, and you can't forgive this person of twenty-five cents." How many of you in here can say, "I've never sinned. I've never done nothing wrong." Because if, if you can, that's the only way you can say I haven't forgiven somebody or I can't forgive somebody or I won't forgive somebody. Because God himself has forgiven you of much. Every day of your life, I don't know about you guys, every day of life there's a sin somewhere, somehow entangled in my life that I, that I have to be forgiven for. And God so freely gives that to you. He so freely forgives you of that thousands of dollars worth of debt that you owe to him. You owe him his son's life. But you're not willing to forgive somebody of their life. You're not willing to forgive the spouse that said something ignorantly yesterday. You're not willing to, to forgive that friend who, who didn't return your phone call or you've seen, him, seen the opened of the text message and didn't reply back to you and you now hold a hatred towards them because they didn't reply back. Sometimes we have to look past it. We have, to, we have to know that everyone has a life and that everyone has things going on with them. God has forgiven them. Why can't you forgive them? Move forward. Back to Matthew 6. It's verse 16 and 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad contentness for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to, you, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's the same with prayer. God's going to re reward your secret heart. Um. Too many times, come 9 o'clock in the morning, somebody will say to me, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting today. Okay. What you just did there, you're not fasting. You're on a dumb man diet. You're just not eating. When you're fasting, you're doing it to show an, a respect and a, and, a, and a reverence for God himself, and you're spending more time with him. You're not worried about spending time with your coworker and explaining to them of why you're not eating because that's your reward. When, you, when your friend says, oh, I feel so sorry, oh, let me pray for you. That's all you're getting. That's it right there. End of it. Wash, anoint your head with oil and wash your face. People do it a lot with prayer also. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dub the term peekaboo prayer. I, like, I do. That's our new saying, peekaboo prayer. So what that is, is you'll be in here and you'll be worshiping and you're, you're near the hundreds and you've you got your arms up and you're praising God and you're, you're, you're singing out and you're dancing. Your eyes are closed and then you stop for a second. Throw one eye open. Up there looking, yay, ah, and they're dancing on. Well, guess what? 
The only reward, <laughs> the only reward that you're going to get is that laughter that you just need. Is that, is that pat on the back that afterwards, oh, you was, you was doing so good in your worship today. You're doing so good with your fasting. You, you, you're so in touch with God. No. You're so in touch with the people sitting around you. You're so in touch with the eyes that are focused on you of this world. And you're not seeing the spiritual eyes of God that is over top of you. I believe fasting is a very important part. And it's very, it's, it's very much alive today. It's very much needed today. If more people would, I don't believe we would be seeing kids getting stabbed and wars and stuff like that going on. And it's, it's proof. In Acts 9, we're given some reasonings. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened and he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, excuse me, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now this is a complete fast that he did for a little rundown on this. You know, Saul's on his way to Damascus. Um, Saul is a person who's persecuting and killing Christians and, and doing vile and horrible things. He has an encounter with God. Now he doesn't know why. He had this encounter with God. But God reveals this to him after prayer and fasting. Sometimes when God speaks to you, you need to spend some time with him. You need to, you need to remove the distractions out of your life. If you want the spiritual sight, if you want the scales to fall from your eyes, you must fast, you must pray, you must spend time with God. Matthew 4, 2 and 3. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now I tell you this because when you go into fasting and you're truly fasting, you're not doing it to be seen by man. You're doing it to be seen by God. The enemy is going to come for your throat. Okay? I promise you start fasting, and by 9 a.m. there'll be 25 snicker bars laying in your car that you've never seen before. <laughs> Why? Because he wants to distract you. And what most people do is they say, I car and I'm fasting, and there's a Snickers bar sitting on the dashboard that I forgot about. You automatically, the enemy can use that to take your eyes off of what you're supposed to be looking at and put them back on the world, which is very much what he wants to do. He wants to distract you. He wants to cause confusion. He wants to take your fasting and your prayer away from where it is and put it where it's not supposed to be. Sometimes when you're fasting, it's not for you. Sometimes when you're praying, it's not for you even though you're the one putting in the work. And we see that. In Acts 13, 2 and 3, on the one day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them away. 
and they're already in fasting, they're already in prayer, and God gives them a word. What do they do? They don't rush off to anoint them right there. They spend more time in prayer and fasting. And then they anoint the ones that they're supposed to do to go forth and start churches and start preaching the gospel. Sometimes your prayer and fasting is not for you. It's for you to do something for somebody else. But notice what happens as we move into Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So the men that somebody else just prayed and fasted for are now doing what? Praying and fasting and anointing. Your prayer, your fast, the anointment that you give to somebody else, if it's done with the heart of God and the eyes of God, it will carry on for a long time through generation to generation to generation. We just had these children standing up here worshiping the Lord. If they see you worshiping the Lord, that's where those children get it from. From your prayer, from your anointing. It's given generation to generation. The praise that they receive today, they now say, when I worship God, somebody loves me. Somebody pays attention to me. There's the eyes that we was looking for. Allow the children to see it in a godly light. Allow the children to have it in, in a way that they can understand it now so that they can carry it on. So that 25 years from now, their children are standing on this very stage and doing the very thing that they just did. Moving on to Matthew. Do not lay up, excuse me, this is 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now it is not by coincidence that God is talking about treasures on earth. Jesus himself is talking about treasures on earth directly after he said, stop looking at the eyes of man. Because if that's what you're going after, is the things of this world, that is what you will receive is the things of this world. But if you're going after the things of God with a true heart and true eyes and true motive, then those are the things you will see. You open in your eye, don't take this wrong. I don't want you to think that you can't open your eyes during prayer. You open in your eye, though, and looking for the attention of man is stealing your treasure. It is taking your treasure of heaven. It is taking the kingdom away from you. And the most you're going to receive is a pat on the back from them. Listen, I will gladly lose your pat on the back to lay at the feet of Jesus one day. This verse here that I'm about to read you is one of one. It's Matthew six twenty two and twenty three. The lamp of the body is the eye. 
If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like I said, I, I truly love this verse, and there's a reason behind it. These homes, when you watch men and women come inside of these homes, the first thing you can do is look at their eyes. You say, that's darkness, that's demonic, that's evil. Look, where's Jimmy? Where's Jimmy? Jimmy just graduated our men's home. When this guy came in, I, I, the whole eye was black. There was no color. There was, there was a large pupil, and that was it. As time went on until the time he got to stand here at this stage, and you've seen this, this bright color inside of it, you can tell if somebody's truly got the heart of God by looking at their eyes. You can see just this much, and you'll be able to tell whether they have love, joy, and peace. Or you can tell whether they have this just nastiness inside of them. Now, that's what, that's what that verse is, is. It speaks to me personally, and that's, that's why that verse means so much to me. But that is not what this verse is, is structured around, and that's not what this verse is, is typically saying. What this verse is saying it's the lamp to your body. What is God? God is light. To let light in your, in your body, you must see it. If you are feeding your eyes with filth and disgust, then that is what is. If you, if you are paying more attention to Facebook than you are the, 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 the Bible book, Facebook is now your God. If, if, you're, if you're looking more at lust and pornography and stuff like that, then that is what is inside of you. You need to pray that you have an encounter like Saul and you become Paul. God, blind my eyes. Blind them. Place scales and bandages and, and everything over top of them so that I can pray so that I can fast, so that I cannot have any distractions until them scales fall off and I have the light of you shining out of me. What you, what you feed your eyes with is probably the most important thing to pay attention to. Now, there's music and all that kind of stuff also. Um, I just had a, a conversation this morning outside, and uh, we was talking about your, your mind, your, your heart and your brain and that. It doesn't just magically make things up. You have to see it somewhere to think it. If I'm designing the inside of a home, if I've never seen a couch, I'm not going to think about putting a couch inside of it. That's why you need to make sure you're paying attention and you're looking at the Word of God, that you're looking to Jesus. Because the only way that you can put God in your situation 
is if you've looked at God, if you know of God, if you've fed yourself with God. The best verse that I can, I can use to explain what he was saying there is Philippians 4.8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Take the Slayer poster off your wall and put up a cross. All right. Take the phone and lay it down and pick up the Bible. Take the, take the picture off the front of the screen and put a verse. As a matter of fact, I challenge everybody here this week to what Jay just said a minute ago. Memorize one verse. Want to know how you're going to memorize a verse? Every time your phone rings, it pops up. Every time you go for Facebook, it pops up. you got to read it. And if you put it in a place where you're forced, forced to look at it, I heard a quote the other day, you can't look at a word without reading it. Unless you are completely illiterate, go home and try it. Look at somebody's shirt that has words on it. I bet you read that word. Look at a street sign. I bet you read that street name. If you put it somewhere in front of you that you're forced to look at it, you will force yourself to read it. This goes back to doing things that are uncomfortable, getting yourself up early, all that kind of things. Do things that are uncomfortable. Kids, I love you, but your, your art poster of nine crowns has to come off the refrigerator, and I'm taping a verse up have to do things that are uncomfortable. You have to love God before you can love anything else. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable and right, and pure and lovely and admirable. 100% traits and characteristics of Jesus himself. Because that is always he is, is love. So one more verse for you guys, which is Matthew 6.24. Before I read this, I want to encourage you guys to do something. When you read through verses, they can give you multiple meanings. They can give you multiple thoughts and feelings and stuff like that. I learned this from all the leadership in my life. Go back and read this stuff for yourself. Yes, verses have one specific structured meaning in life or what they was intended for. David talks about it all the time, uh, eisegesis and exegesis, the way, the way you, you learn these things. Go back and read this stuff for yourself. Do not take my word on it. Do not take Fred's word on it. Listen to what we have to say. We'll lead you in the right directions. Learn for yourself. Use your eyes to be the light that looks at what you need to look at. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Take that word money and replace it with anything. 
Now, I'm well aware that God's word says do not take, to, do not take from or add to or change the, the words of his. I'm not telling you to scribble it out in your Bible and write something over top of it. I'm not telling you that at all. But what is it that you're placing above God? Is it money? Is it your car? Is it your job? Is it your phone? Or is it your one-eyed open praise dance looking for the attention of people? So if I could have everybody rise... I don't want anybody to think of attention. Right now, everybody close your eyes, bow your head, and visualize this room with just you. With just you. Think about your time with God. Your heart with God. Imagine a door to your heart opening up You lead Jesus in by the hand and you shut the door. It's just you and Him. If you're someone here that has never let Jesus into your heart, has never never allowed the love of God to be expressed over top of you, I want you to do anything crazy. Hand up real quick, right back down. Just just allow allow God to, to work on you right now. No attention, nobody's looking at you. If you're somebody that's placed money at the top, I want to pray for you. If you're somebody that has has allowed the things of life, or maybe you're just somebody that seeked man's attention more than you've seeked God's attention. And I pray for you today. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the heart that you have bestowed upon us. I thank you for your son. God, I thank you that you you, you watched him endure this, this beating, that you watched him endure the savageness of this earth for us. God, we want the extraordinary. And that starts with our hearts. God, I ask that you you give every man and woman that stands here the key to that door that allows it to open up and it's a room of just you and them. God, I thank you for your love and I thank you that you never give up on a single one of us. God, even in our worst, when we know we're sinners, you are there. When we're at the top of the mountain and doing our best, you are there thank you for that. Thank you for walking with me all the days of life. We tell you that we love you. Again, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. These altars are open. Again, it's not, it's not about a spectacle. It's not about what others think of you. Don't worry about that. Allow God to lead you in your life today. I pray that you all have a blessed week.